Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to investigate the Scriptures with us in a Berean fashion in search of truth in regard to Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel of the kingdom of God. I hardly need to remind you that the Bereans in Acts 17, verse 11, were commended for their daily and industrious study of the Scripture. They searched the Scriptures daily to see if what they were hearing by way of preaching was true. And for that reason, Luke observes, many of them became true believers, genuine adherents to the faith of Jesus Christ, as well as faith in Jesus Christ, and those two things should never be separated. Christianity is the faith of Jesus as well as faith in him. Jesus is our pilot who calls on us to follow him, that's to say follow his teachings. It isn't sufficient vaguely to ask him into your heart. You must accept his teachings and learn from him as a disciple. Jesus began his discipleship ministry by urging people to believe in the kingdom of God repent and believe in the gospel of the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It makes perfect sense that if we want to be Christians, we should use Jesus as our pilot, take him as our leader, as our rabbi, as well as our savior and our Lord. And it makes sense then that we should begin at the beginning of the teaching of Jesus and follow his commands one after the other. His first imperative was uttered in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, when he tells us to repent, to turn around, to rethink our whole life, and to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to the message about the kingdom of God. The reason for that first commandment is simply this. Jesus came, we learn in Romans 15, as confirming the promises made to the patriarchs. Jesus, in other words, did not introduce a brand new faith when he spoke of the kingdom of God, he was speaking of the national hope of Israel, and that national hope itself was founded and rooted in the covenant made with Abraham, the father of the faithful. It was to Abraham that God had promised the land in perpetuity, not only to Abraham, but to Isaac and Jacob and all the faithful in Israel. The promise was that God would give them inheritance and possession of the land forever in undisturbed peace and prosperity. As we know, Abraham never inherited the land. It's true that the nation of Israel inherited the land under Joshua, but they were subsequently expelled from the land because of disobedience. When eventually the Jews were expelled in about 586 B.C. under the domination of King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian monarch, we know that after that period of exile, that dispersion and that scattering of the Jews in various places, we know that a remnant returned under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. But that did not amount to the fulfillment of the promise of the land in perpetuity to Abraham. This is perfectly obvious because Abraham was dead at that time. It's most important to remember that God covenanted the land and backed it up by an oath he covenanted the land with Abraham forever. And yet when we arrive in the book of Acts, chapter 7 and verse 5, in an interesting remark from Stephen in that sermon which cost him his life, the first martyr there observed that Abraham had never received the promise made to him. 
He did not inherit, Stephen said, a square foot of the land, and yet God had promised to give it to him and his seed forever. This, of course, sets up an interesting tension. If Abraham never received the promise, how is it that he's going to obtain it? This is the point to which the New Testament strains in every verse. It strains towards the great denouement, the great resolution of God's plan, by which indeed the promises to Abraham can come to fruition. It must be that Abraham has to rise from the sleep of dead to inherit the kingdom at the resurrection. Only the resurrection in the future, at Jesus' return to this earth, can bring the story to its desired end. The promise of the land was made irrevocably to Abraham and to his seed. That promise has never found fulfillment. It must therefore find fulfillment in the future, and it will indeed, at the time when Jesus comes back to raise the dead, according to 1 Corinthians 15.23, and to grant that permanent inheritance to the patriarchs, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and indeed to David, who shared the same promise of the land and kingship with Abraham and with Jesus. How then can Abraham come into his promised inheritance? Only by resurrection. We find in Hebrews 11, verse 8, that God allowed Abraham to dwell in the promised land, but he never received the inheritance. He dwelt there as a sojourner, as a kind of spiritual tourist, a spiritual green card person, if you like, a resident alien, but he never possessed the land which God promised him. Abraham indeed finally died, not having received the promise. That's made quite clear in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. In fact, all the patriarchs and all the heroes of faith listed in the famous 11th chapter of Hebrews, they all died, the text says, not having received the promises. Indeed, they will not receive the promises apart from us. Apart from us Christians, the writer says, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the faithful of the Old Testament period will not gain that perfection they sought. This means, of course, that they all have to come alive in the resurrection. It was to that great event that Jesus looked forward in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, where he said, When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the patriarchs and the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourself being cast out, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That was Jesus' solemn threat to those who refused to believe in him and his messiahship, that they would be excluded from the great company, the assembled company of all the faithful who would rise from the sleep of death in order to take part in the future kingdom. That was the great objective to which every Jew at the time of Jesus, every religious Jew, that is, looked forward with passion and zeal. Jesus was no exception. He was a Jew speaking to Jews, and his whole kingdom message, his kingdom gospel, involved the most precious promise known to the Israelite nation, namely the promise made to Abraham. Jesus, as the Messiah, of course, was the recipient of that great land promise. That's why in Luke 22, verses 28 to 30, Jesus observed that God had covenanted with him to give him the kingdom. That indeed was the great covenant oath-bound promise made to Abraham, coming to fulfillment in Jesus' own life. Jesus, as the Messiah, was indeed the promised seed to whom the inheritance was guaranteed. 
We find this stated with complete clarity in Galatians 3, verse 19. The seed to whom the promise of the inheritance was given is there Jesus Christ. But we're rejoicing in the fact that as Christians, we too can share in that promised inheritance. If you belong to Christ, Paul said in Galatians 3, verse 29, then you are reckoned as Abraham's seed. You're reckoned as part of the body of the Messiah, and therefore you become the recipient with him of the kingdom promises of the earth. We are co-heirs with Jesus, Paul said in Romans 8. We inherit in the future with Jesus the kingdom of God, for the earth renewed and restored and purified following the arrival of Jesus in power and glory to change the affairs of mankind on this earth, to reorder political things on a grand scale and to introduce a period of unparalleled prosperity and peace, freedom from war, from disease, freedom from poverty, freedom from divorce and violence and all of the ills which plague our present societies. All of that is going to come to an end when Jesus returns to inaugurate his world government on this earth. I should issue a caution here that any attempts to produce this idyllic and utopian kingdom of God this side of the second coming as products of man's best effort to reorganize society upon better lines, all of those efforts will not match the glory of the kingdom of God. Or there may be improvements here and there, but on the whole the Bible is pessimistic about what man can do apart from the coming of Jesus in the future to reorganize the world on a sound and just basis. Let's for a moment summarize the substance of what we're saying. Christ is not simply a silent Savior dead on a cross, essential, of course, as his death is. Jesus is not just a risen Christ at the right hand of the Father, absolutely foundational as that is also in the Christian scheme. Jesus was also a preacher of the gospel of the kingdom. Luke 4.43 states that that was the purpose for which he was sent. Jesus, without his teaching, is not really Jesus at all. A Jesus divorced from his Hebrew heritage and background in the Hebrew prophets is a Jesus uprooted from history. Without sufficient instruction, would-be believers will tend to imagine Jesus in a thousand different ways. Hence the importance for Christians of being rooted in the Bible and in the words of Jesus himself. It's essential to note in the Gospel of John, for example, that Jesus constantly stressed the importance of abiding in his teaching, in his word. If you abide in my word or my teaching, he said, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it will be done for you. As a guarantee of successful relationship with God, provided we continue in the words, the gospel, the instruction and the teaching of Jesus, just as Paul himself reminded us in Colossians 3, verse 16, where he urged us to have the word or the teaching, the instruction or gospel of Jesus Christ dwelling in us richly. It is to that objective that this series of programs on the kingdom of God is dedicated. I remind you now of the central message of the kingdom of God as the heart of the saving gospel as Jesus preached it. That central message is based on the Hebrew Bible. It's the proclamation of the coming of the kingdom of God. 
as the fulfillment of the promises made to the patriarchs and to David, the king of Israel. That promise of the land and the earth purified appears in page after page of the Hebrew Bible. Israel is guaranteed a future security and safe dwelling in the land of the promise. Eventually, under Messiah, Israel will gain what she has always desired and never been able to achieve. Present tensions in the Middle Eastern area reflect that unresolved problem, the problem of the inheritance of the land. While Jews today struggle to maintain their rights in the land of the promise, which they think is theirs, they fail to note that the Messiah himself has come, and by and large they rejected him. This is the cause of the problems that they are now suffering. When eventually that remnant of Jewish people do accept Jesus as the returning Messiah, then these problems will be resolved, and they will indeed inherit, along with the Christians of all the ages, the promise of land in perpetuity, as it was formally guaranteed to Abraham and received also by Jesus Christ himself. Galatians 3 and verse 19 is a fundamentally important verse to the seed of Abraham, to Jesus, the promise of the inheritance was given, and to us also as Christians as being in Christ. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God. In it you will find a number of these verses listed and explained. It will trace the kingdom of God idea from Genesis onwards to Revelation. Meanwhile, join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' famous topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.